Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of James. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. Here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing our study in the general epistle of James. We're in chapter 5, and I promised you that we would look at verse 6 once again when we came back, but I want to look at it in totality of what is basically this grouping, if you will, of the wisdom uh, literature of James. Rich folks are told to weep and howl because they've already lost their riches. And that's in verses 1 and 2 and 3. And that the riches are going to actually burn them, that is, figuratively speaking, because uh, they put all these heaping of treasures for their retirement, but basically they're not going to have the opportunity. And the reason for that is because they got their gain, they got their riches on the backs of poor people. Now this is an argument that we often hear when we are listening to various interest groups across the spectrum saying, well, you know, rich folks have made all their money on the backs of the poor. And so, therefore, the poor deserve what the rich have. Now, while James is telling the rich to howl and to be miserable about the fact that they're going to lose the riches because they have been unfair with the poor people, he never said, you're going to give them to the poor people. Basically, what he says is, it's worthless. All of this riches, all the riches that you have are worthless because of your your bad attitude and your sinfulness toward others. But he does not require that they give it back or that they give it up. It's just the fact that God himself, being the Lord of hosts, the Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, that he will repay any injustice. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And indeed, he will. We don't have to worry about vengeance in this life. God will take care of it in this life or in the hereafter, but it will be taken care of. And so when someone is um, less than equitable with you, when someone treats you with disdain, while our first response may be in a human fashion, to retaliate in some way, God says, no, I will take care of it. You do not need to revenge of yourself, to avenge yourself, because I will take care of it for you. And so here we're seeing that put into uh, practice by James as he tells the rich to weep and howl because the Lord God of hosts is going to settle the score on behalf of those who have worked for these rich folks but not been paid properly. Well, that, of course, gives pause for consideration for each one of us that whenever we hire someone that we pay them an equitable wage, one that is reasonable for what they do. 
For example, I know through mission work, there are a number of mission groups that own plantations in Honduras in Central America. These are coffee plantations. Some may own banana plantations or pineapple plantations, but I know the groups that own the coffee plantations. And they pay 20% above prevailing wage. And that is purposeful. They do that on purpose to make sure that they are not cheating the local worker. And personally, I'm all for that. It certainly removes any doubt Even if the prevailing wage is a reasonable wage, if you're paying 20% above prevailing wage, you should be in pretty good territory. Here, these rich folks have not done that, and God, through James, condemns them. And while these rich folks have lived in pleasure, they've lived in uh, luxuriousness, they've lived in wanton indulgence, The folks who served them, who worked for them, who did their jobs for them, who were in the fields reaping the harvest for them, did not have that um, rich indulgence that the rich people had, that the uh, wealthy had. And then, verse 6, oh, and and verse 5 goes on to say uh, that they've nourished their hearts as in the day of slaughter. They have eaten meat as they wanted to. Uh, Just as when they killed the fatted calf, they would eat the meat and enjoy it. And that's what the rich have done. They've eaten the meat any time they wished. Verse 6, Ye have condemned and killed the just, and and he doth not resist you. This is not physical killing or murder, if you will, in the sense of... um, in some fashion, inflicting death upon someone. Yes, the word death is used here, and apparently, from all indications and everything I can study, it does not mean death in the physical, mortal sense. What it means is death or tending toward death because you've been deprived of your worldly goods. In other words, you're in a very... Uh, precarious situation. While you may not be dead, you could die in the next few days because you don't have the worldly goods that are needed to sustain your life. And so while it may not be a completed act of murder, it winds up being one that would tend toward that completed act if it followed through. And so that refers primarily, according to what the scholars tell us, to that judgment that's brought down in court, which is crooked, which is not true justice. And uh, the rich have a way of buying and perverting justice in the world, and that's what James is talking about there, apparently, in verse 6. Now, James has a tendency, even from one verse to the other, not necessarily having a series of verses as he did here in chapter 5, having uh, six verses that all line up together. But he has a tendency, of course, of just changing directions very quickly. And so he does again. Um, It is connected, however, uh, with this idea that the just, the righteous, the followers of Jesus Christ, 
do not have to worry because God will prevail and God will avenge them. And so he goes into why we should be patient. We begin reading at verse 7, chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, a husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Let's take a look at verse 7 and uh, see what insight we can take from it. Our patience is to be that of a farmer. A husbandman is someone that tills the field and takes care of the crops. And so we are, as brothers in Christ, to be patient until the Lord comes. Not being anxious, uh, not being uh, so frenetic and kinetic that we create problems, but we are to be patient until the Lord returns. Now notice this is one of a couple of times that anything about the Lord is mentioned. This book would fit very well in the Old Testament as much as it does in the New Testament. Yes, it is New Testament literature, and yes, it is in the proper canon. I do not question that in the least. However, the mention of Christ is not uh, forthright. And uh, what we see here is a mention of Christ as Lord. And we see him returning. And this is just, like I say, a couple of uh, the mentions of, of Christ in veiled fashion uh, in the book of James. Behold, the farmer, the husbandman, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. You had spring rain, you had fall rain uh, there in that part of the world, and you still do, in fact. And uh, so spring rain allowed the um, crops to germinate and uh, the seeds to come up and, and the plants to uh, begin. And then the latter rain um, filled out uh, the uh, crop until you could harvest it. And basically, that's what the farmer was waiting on and was waiting on the growth of the plants so that you could harvest a good plant, um, a, a good uh, uh, several bushels per acre as opposed to one or two. And so that's what they were waiting for. They were patient for it. Now, I don't know if you as a child or one of your children or grandchildren ever did this, but uh, I know of folks who have, and I've heard stories about it as well from others, where the children would be involved in planting a garden, for example. And after a day or two or three, they would dig the seeds up to see if they were growing. Well, you don't do that. When you do that, of course, you destroy the crop. You have to be more patient than a child if you're following Jesus Christ. Then verse 8, he continues on this idea of patience. Be ye also patient. 
as a husbandman or as a farmer is patient, you also should be patient. You need to establish your hearts. You need to firmly put your heart in the foundation of Jesus Christ. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Draweth nigh is the terminology here, but it means the coming of the Lord is near. Now notice the doctrines of the church, the doctrines of faith in Christ, are not mentioned in James. Practicality is mentioned. He's such a practical book. But when he overlooks these things, it's not because he did not practice the faith or believe the faith. It was because he was attempting very quickly, expecting the Lord's return at any moment. He was trying to help these individual Christians and congregations of Christians to live for Christ, to live in a practical way in which the world could see that they were different and they could minister to those around them because of that difference in Christ. And so he says, because Christ is coming soon, I want you to do this. I want you to be patient. I want you to be uh, there doing what you need to be doing. I don't want you to be vengeful toward anyone. I don't want you to be grudging against one another. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold... The judge standeth before the door. It says, have patience with people. First of all, we're to have patience waiting for the fruit, right? Just as a farmer. We also must be patient in realizing that Christ will come soon. And so we're patient there. We have our hearts established in the faith. We believe the truth. And we're standing for the truth and with the truth. And then we're told to have this um, lack of complaining, patience again with people, this lack of complaint against one another. Have you ever worked in a place or been in a family situation where somebody had to gripe all the time? Oh, I know, I know. I've been labeled with that from time to time, and maybe you have too where you wanted something to be different or better than what it was, or you wanted it to be more in your own image, perhaps? <laughs> Look out when you do that sort of thing. That'll get you in trouble. But when that happens, then you have a complaining spirit, if you will. You're starting to complain, and people notice that, and they notice the complaint. They don't notice the reason for the complaint as much as they notice the complaint. And that's not good. That complaining will get you in all sorts of trouble. And here he exhorts us, since Christ is soon here, don't complain about your neighbor. Don't complain about your fellow believer. Don't complain about your family member. I had to get over that. I really did. I mean, I grew up in a family that we, if we had a complaint, we would air it. Very, very vocal family. Uh, and I guess I raised my children to be vocal as well, but certainly respectful. And we were respectful at home as well, but we were very vocal. And, and we were encouraged uh, in many ways to be vocal with our complaints. 
what James is saying is that he's not suggesting that we uh, have no complaints, but he's saying just don't complain incessantly, continuously, take care of whatever the situation is. Is If there is a true problem, take care of the problem. Don't complain about it. Uh, if uh, you need more toilet paper in the bathroom, put more toilet paper in the bathroom. Don't complain about the fact that there is no toilet paper. It's about like complaining that there's darkness when you have a light that you can switch on. Or complaining that there's darkness when you could light a candle. You see, there's no reason to complain because you can take care of the situation. If you can take care of the situation, take care of it. And don't have this grudge or this complaint against those that you are in contact with. And guess what? You'll be condemned if you do. If you have this this grudging spirit, if you have this complaining spirit, and you're complaining, 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 you will be the one that's judged, not the person you're complaining about or the things you're complaining about, but you will be the one that is in the bad light. And that's the promise here, as well as the exhortation in James chapter 5, verse 9. And also, the judge, the one who does the ultimate condemnation, is standing at the door. In other words, Christ is soon to return. When I'm reading through the book of James, and as we go through this book in study, I am always enlightened and heartened by the fact that we're called brethren. And so I, as a brother in Christ with James, 2,000 years ago with James, he speaks to me through this, the revealed and written word of God. Verse 10, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. So we look at the prophets who have suffered, and they've suffered in the name of Christ Jesus, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These who have suffered as they have are to be our example for us. Now, you know, if you go to the Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith, and you go to Hebrews, and you find the uh, Hall of Faith there in chapter 11, and I'm going to Hebrews chapter 11 right now, we see faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then you've got the roll call of faith. In fact, when we look at this, we see it begins shortly after creation. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, what happened to Abel? And this is what this is the point that James is making. What happened to Abel? He was killed by his brother. His brother Cain killed him 
because his sacrifice, that is Abel's sacrifice, was accepted of God, and Cain, wanting to go in his own way, wanting to go in his own religion, not being faithful, but being unfaithful, he gets angry and he kills the man who was godly. Talk about persecution, that's the ultimate in persecution, is martyrdom. And Abel was killed by his brother because he was godly. James is pointing that out. That's the first one. And he goes on through that roll call of faith that we find in Hebrews 11. James 5, verse 10, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. So use that example until we are in this class again. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumpville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.